there, I'm Rachel Ehring from Dream Lavender Music, and you're listening to the Dynamic Piano Teaching Podcast, the show that dives into piano pedagogy without being stuffy. If you're a piano teacher who wants to go beyond the method book to create an engaging, innovative studio, you've come to the right place. So let's get started. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Abigail Prophet, teacher at Prophet Piano Studios and creator of the Whole Foundation Method, which provides innovative resources for piano teachers. Abigail has a host of resources, and with Halloween right around the corner, she shares some of her spooky favorites. She also lets us in on some new and exciting things that she's working on that you will definitely want to hear about. Here's my interview with Abigail. Hi, Abigail. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad that you are here today. Can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your teaching studio and your business? Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Um, So I'm Abigail, like you said. I grew up in Dallas, Texas, uh, where I began learning piano and you could say teaching, but that was really just middle school Abigail sharing with her peers. (laughs) That's another story for another time. Um, But my actual studio began in 2015 while I was living in New York City. Um, And then while I was earning my degree in piano pedagogy, I taught at two music schools and I also ran a small studio um, in South Carolina where I was studying. But now I'm back in Texas and I've been teaching here for about three years now. I specialize in classical piano lessons for young beginners. So the main demographic in my studio is four to eight-year-olds, but I do have some wonderful middle schoolers and adult students in there too. That's great, Abigail. And I'm curious, as those young beginners grow into intermediate or advanced students, do you foresee yourself continuing to teach them or do you think you'll pass them off to other teachers? Yeah, no, actually a lot of them are slowly like segueing into intermediate. They get there pretty fast. (laughs) Um, But no, I do have my degree in piano pedagogy and I've been studying classical piano for a little over 18 years now. So I am equipped to keep them going and I would love to see them through as far as I can. But if they they start passing me up, we'll uh, pass the ball to someone else. (laughs) Right. Well, no, I'm sure that you are highly equipped to teach them. Um, I was just curious if you just if you wanted to continue with just beginners or if you like all ages and all levels. I think for a while I did want to stick with beginners because like once you kind of get into that comfort zone of like, I do love that age and it is easiest for me to teach beginners, but I do like stretching myself too and watching them kind of start in those really early stages and seeing them through as far as I can. So I'm excited to see how far I end up feeling comfortable, if that makes sense. Yes. And one of the reasons we're here today is to talk about all the resources that you've created. So can you share a little bit about um, your, I guess, resource creation business? Yeah. So um, Whole Foundation Method is my online business for piano teachers. And I call it a method because like the approach that I integrate into my materials is a little different from a lot of the standard method books and games that a lot of us teachers might be familiar with. Um, But with that, I offer a lot of theory games, worksheets, even organizational materials for piano teachers and a couple of courses too. 
Nice. Can you tell us how it's different than um, some of the other methods out there? Yeah. So um, I I actually mentioned this on another podcast, so I'll say it here too. Um, a lot of the games that I had been searching for, like before I started making my own, I was looking for a certain approach for my students, like landmark and intervallic based games. And I couldn't find those really anywhere at the time, which was like two and a half years ago, a lot more has come to the market since then. But I started creating out of that deficit of just wanting to provide like directional reading activities and intervallic reading activities to my students. And also having activities that go a little bit more into intermediate concepts, like the circle of fifths and chord progressions and scales and all those kinds of things. So I think that's where it differs from a lot of music games that tend to stick to beginner concepts like note naming or music terms. Um, And I try to make most of my games like adaptable for multiple levels. So I think that's another thing that's different from a lot on the market where it's you're not just going to have one that only applies to a four-year-old. I try. I mean, it's it's hard, obviously, but I try to make it so that you can stretch it or adapt it for multiple ages. Um, and then with like the classical side of things, they do have like classical music history and listening activities and, you know, things like that. Yeah. So you mentioned that uh, beginners are one of your favorite groups to teach. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us what a very first piano lesson looks like in your studio? Yeah. So this varies a lot. I feel like based on the age of the beginner, um, but across the board, I really do try to prioritize like oral skills and experiential learning, especially for those first few weeks, like not just the first lesson, but um, some key elements I include are an icebreaker game. I have a game that I created called icebreaker race. And it just has like a bunch of get to know you questions and you can race across the game board to get to the end without breaking the ice. Like there's ice cubes all over the board. Um, (laughs) So that helps me and students warm up. I'm really introverted, which is funny being a piano teacher and meeting new people all the time. Mm -hmm. That game is just as much for me as it is for my new students. Um, And then I'll do some kind of aural or rhythm exercise where maybe we'll do like rhythm clapbacks or playbacks or um, even like a rhythm bingo game where after I've introduced note values, I like to use um, Clap Once by Jody Marie Fisher, which just has like a really natural progression of the note values and how they fit together. So I'll open with that and then maybe segue into a rhythm bingo game where students can visually identify the rhythm patterns that I'm clapping out. Um, And then we'll explore a little keyboard geography, like, you know, the pitches, the high and low pitches, groups of black keys. And with that, I'll um, end with some improvisation where they can kind of apply the rhythms that they've learned and the the black key concepts that they've learned. And so it's, you know, really natural starts with sound and just, you know, making music together. I try not to dive into books on day one. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I also try and do some kind of improvisation in the very first lesson, because I think it's so good for them to just be playing notes, maybe all over the keyboard or high notes or whatever it is in that first lesson, just to take away some of the maybe intimidation or 
fear of the, the playing the piano. Um, so I love that you do that as well. As far as games go, so it sounds like you do a lot in their very first lesson. Are you using games in your lessons every week or is it more just occasionally when a concept comes up that you have a specific resource for? I It depends on the student. Again, like some students like my preschoolers who are three or four years old do need a game every week. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, like I try to use games to teach new concepts before they appear on the score. So if I know something new is coming up, then I will introduce a game a couple weeks before then. So that, you know, for a beginner, that might be every week because they're learning so many new things every week, but around like four to six months, they start needing fewer and fewer games because they're kind of getting settled into that late beginner stage. Um, But back to like using games before a concept appears, instead of like turning the page in the method book and catching both of us by surprise, like, oh, I guess we're learning this now, which is, you know, I think what a lot of teachers do when they're starting out and definitely what I did. (laughs) Um, I do like try to sequence games based on what I know is coming so that when a student sees that concept, they can tell me about it and they've already experienced it. And it's not like this roadblock to learning that new piece. It's, oh, I know what this is. I've already felt this before. I've already used this before. Um, So games kind of introduce those things in a seamless way. Um, And then, like I said, with preschoolers, they are needed pretty much every week to just break up that lesson time and keep up with just how quickly they think. They're just very fast thinkers and absorbers. So, yeah, they are. And uh, let's talk about preschoolers for a minute, because I think that they are a mystery to some piano teachers. And a lot of piano teachers I've heard say, like, I won't start students before age seven or age six or something. Tell us a little bit about what you do with your preschoolers in case teachers are interested in maybe diving into that world. I just love them. Um, I think a big reason teachers say they won't touch it is because they're thinking purely of how quickly a student can start reading music or have the motor skills to play method book songs. And I think that's the wrong way to look at it because they shouldn't just be in there to learn how to memorize notes on the staff or play Mozart within the first two years. You know, um, So in a way, like, yes, they are slower learners. They're not going to be reading music as fast as other students. But I think because they are so willing to take a slow pace and just enjoy the ride, you can do so much more with them that's going to make them more well-rounded later. Um, a middle schooler, more often than not, is not going to have the patience to build those aural skills and to improvise and put themselves on the spot as a mu- music maker. They're just going to want to skip the beginner stage. Um, but preschoolers are okay with being beginners and making music. So that's I think really foundational to being able to read music and perform well later, like building that confidence early on. So with preschool students, I do focus a lot on oral skills and improv and just repeating a lot of those beginner concepts like piano keys and line and space notes and intervals and just making it as natural as possible and making piano a natural part of their routine before they're old enough to realize they don't want to do that. (laughs) Because if it starts early, then it'll be all they know once they hit middle school and high school. 
Yeah, you put that so beautifully and I completely agree with you. I think a lot of it is just um, adjusting our expectations with that age. And I almost think of it more as music lessons or music class that uses the piano as a tool to learn concepts about music. So let's get into some of your many resources, Abigail. Uh, I noticed they're very reasonably priced, which I love. And some of them are even on sale right now. I saw on Etsy, which is exciting. Um, Let's start with one that looked really interesting called the OG Bundle. Can you tell us a little bit about that one? Yeah. Um, So the OG Bundle is basically a collection of my best-selling games. Um, The listing... I don't know how many it says on the listing, but since it was posted, I think it has gotten over 960 sales collectively. So all the games that are in that bundle have sold over 900 um, copies. And most of the games in that bundle can be adapted to multiple levels or even different formats like group or private lessons. Um, So that's kind of the beauty of it. It's for teachers who might be new to my shop and they're not sure where to start, they can grab that bundle of games and kind of mix and match and see what they like there. And then it's a good starting point for them. Um, and it's also just a way to mark that those particular game designs did originate with whole foundation method, because since I released some of those, I've seen a lot of duplications of it. So kind of made it just to help people know where that originated and see if they want to try the original version. Nice. And I think it was only like $9 or something for, I think it's, it's 15 or $16 worth of games, but the bundle is eight or $9. Yeah. So that's a a really great deal. And like you said, for teachers who maybe haven't, um, aren't familiar with your games or don't have any of them, that would be a great place to start. So as you know, the holidays are right around the corner, uh, starting with Halloween, at the end of the month, can you share some of your favorite Halloween resources? Sure. Um, my Halloween games bundle has a lot of fun resources. I haven't pulled it out this year because I'm not ready for summer to be over. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it has like a pumpkin game in there, some like little ghost games. Um, I don't know. There's like a Halloween I spy for different musical symbols. I really like using that, especially with beginner students, but there's a few different levels in there, which is fun. There's one with um, major and relative minor keys. So it's a pretty comprehensive bundle for like preschool all the way through early intermediate students. Um, And in that games bundle, there's also a bonus song that I wrote called Dressed Up Spiders. And that's a hit with some of my students. It's like a late beginner, early intermediate. Yeah. Do you have um, other sheet music that on your uh, in your resources? I do. I have two fall music bundles. I don't sell a lot of music on there, but the music that is in my shop is fall themed. So you could browse that too. And then um, a resource that isn't mine, but it's my favorite fall resource is Tara Boykin's um, Halloween fun piano book. My students love pulling that out in October and it's got some really fun Halloween duets in it. Oh, nice. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Very fun. And so then, you know, we keep marching on to Christmas. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) The holidays just keep it coming. um, What do you do in your studio for Christmas? And do you have any specific Christmas resources available for teachers? Yeah. 
Um, usually I do a Christmas recital, but I realized that's a lot more stress than it's worth. For, it's hard. Yeah. I mean, students just have so much going on in September or December already. Um, but this year I'm doing a Christmas party instead of a recital and they're still going to be able to prepare like some fun Christmas pieces and play for each other in a more relaxed format. But other than that, I really just pull out the seasonal games and there's two favorites that my students have, which are um, notes to Santa. And that's a landmark game with like a 3d mailbox and they can put the landmark notes in the mailbox. Um, cute. And then interval village, which is a gingerbread house game that they always request. (laughs) Those sound really cool. I'll have to look those up. Uh, So I think I heard on Andrea Miller's podcast, you say that you wake up in really early in the morning and start creating resources and then you are creating till late at night. And I'm curious where you get all of these ideas because there's, there are a lot of resources in your shop. Yeah. I am happy to say that since I was on Andrea's podcast, I've developed a more healthy work-life balance. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's good. This wasn't going to be an intervention, but (laughs) I burnt out pretty fast on that. (laughs) Thanks for calling me out there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The ideas for most of my games and my materials honestly come from my students Um, because most of my resources are created to meet specific needs or interests that they have. Um, So if I notice someone is struggling to connect with landmarks or intervals or time signatures, I will just sit down and have a big brainstorm session to like think of games that they would connect with and that would help them over that hump. Um, Usually anything with animals or rainbows is a hit with a lot of those kids. So if you see animal games, that's they were probably for somebody. Um, and then I also have piano teachers reach out through social media and ask for specific activities or say, Hey, I have this deficit in my games collection. Can you create something like this for my teenagers? Um, so I get ideas from them as well. Nice. And do you ever, um, tailor games to a specific student who might be interested in like dinosaurs or aliens or something like that specifically? Um, Not so much my physical games, but I do make a lot of digital games through Boom Learning, Mm. and those are a little more themed. So those cater to my students' really specific interests. Like there's some, uh, like a soccer one on there, um, a swimming one, different things like that. Fun. Do you have any all-time favorite resources that you'd want to share about either um, holiday-themed or just general? Sure. Um, My go-to games for beginners are the I Spy game set, which is um, for line and space notes, piano keys, and steps and skips. Um, I use that with every single beginner that that I have through the studio. And then Interval Codes, which is a game that helps students kind of internalize note relationships and get used to seeing those in their heads instead of depending on the staff for the piano all the time, it kind of makes it more second nature. So that's, I've been leaning on that a lot lately. Can you give us a sneak peek into any new resources that you might be creating that teachers can look forward to? Mm. Um, Well, I just released a brand new game yesterday called Snail Trails. um, And that reinforces the circle of fifths. Um, I'm really excited to be using that. I saw that one. It's really cute. 
I, <laughs> that's my new baby. I, <laughs> I love it. Took me about eight or nine hours to make that one. Um, but I'm also in the beginning stages of planning a new course on teaching preschool piano. Oh, nice. And I have not officially announced that yet. So you heard it here first. Wow. Thank you for telling us. That's exciting. (laughs) That's really exciting. And um, speaking of that, you have some other resources that you might want to mention that are more around teacher organization, more for teachers to, uh, I guess, keep their own sanity. (laughs) Speak to some of that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, the biggest resource for that is my Piano Studio Kickstarter course, which it's called a Kickstarter course because it was designed for new teachers just launching their studio. But it's really um, a step-by-step guide for any teacher who wants to have their, you know, an organized studio and, like you said, keep themselves safe. (laughs) So it walks through, like, setting up tuition, um, like, payment plans through event planning, even organizing your studio materials, um, how to structure recitals. I don't know. There's so much in there. It's, it's really for new teachers and experienced teachers alike, but I, I just love all things organization. So I tried to go as deep as I could into every topic that we might need a little extra support in. (laughs) But if you don't want to invest in a whole course, I have the piano teacher lesson planner, which um, has like a birthday calendar in it for you to track your student birthdays, even track their piano anniversaries, um, all your events for the year, and then actual lesson planning pages, which are like really open-ended um, planner pages. And you can print out as many as you need. Like if you don't teach all six days of the week, you can only you know print out Monday through Thursday or whatever you need to use. So it's a really customizable planner, even with um, a year, a year long calendar included. And you can also customize that template to mark out dates for your studio. That sounds like a really great resource. I might have to look into that. Is it, is it a printable one or is it a physical product that you get in the mail? Um, it's a printable. Okay. Very nice. Working on, I should have mentioned that with the upcoming products. I am working on a physical product, getting one printed. Oh, nice. Keep your eyes Great. open for that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Do you, um, you mentioned Tara Boykin. Do you have any other favorite resources besides your own that you would like to give a little shout out to? Yeah. Um, in addition to that Clap Once book by Jody Fisher and then also Tara's book or Tara's book, sorry. Um, if you browse my Instagram, you might notice like my all-time favorite teaching tool, which is the staff whiteboard and magnet set from Music Escapades shop. Um, Wendy is just a brilliant creator and she has yeah. tons of teaching aids, but that whiteboard is definitely my favorite and I would give it a shout out any time of day. <laughs> so definitely check that out. Yeah, I think every teacher needs some kind of whiteboard magnetic grand staff in their collection, huh? Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then one last resource, which isn't tangible, but it's the Beyond Measure podcast by Christina Whitlock. I think a lot of us know and love her, but she's just such a bright spot in my Mondays. And I think her insight is really valuable for any piano teacher. So I would recommend her resources as well. Yeah, definitely. And she's so warm and genuine and cheerful. Yeah, I love I love Christina as well. 
Uh, I just have a few closing questions for you that I like to ask everyone. First of all, what is the one teaching tool in your studio that you can't live without? And I don't know, maybe you've already mentioned it, but maybe there's something else. (laughs) Um, I would say my piano lesson planner that I just mentioned and the staff whiteboard, but there you go. Yeah. (laughs) What is your favorite music to listen to when you are off the clock? Hmm. Um, I think I'm pretty burnt out from sound when I'm off the clock. So I, I like things low key, like piano jazz, or I often have Christian worship music on. So just things that help me relax and kind of get my my mind back in line. (laughs) Yeah. And sometimes there's nothing as golden as silence, right? Yeah. (laughs) Is there a music teacher in your past that has had a particular impact on your teaching or performing? Mm. Um, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all of my piano teachers, but especially my first piano teacher, um, she just had a high standard of excellence and encouraged a really diligent work ethic. And I definitely did not have the capacity to appreciate her from five to 12 years old. And I think she could vouch <laughs> vouch for that. Um, but looking back, I'm so grateful for her and her influence. Because I mean, even now, like a lot of the books and strategies I incorporate were directly inspired by her because I know they worked. And, you know, her her standard of excellence, I think I is something I always want to push my students towards. And I don't want my play-based approach to ever be confused with letting my students slack or just, you know, not be serious about piano. I think you can have both. So kind of bringing in the seriousness that she planted in me with like that um, more interactive and engaging approach, I think has been really valuable. And I'm just thankful that she got me started on that path. That's beautiful. Thank you, Abigail. So Abigail, can you tell our listeners where they can find all these wonderful resources and get in contact with you? Uh, Yeah, you can. um, I don't have a website yet. So you can follow me on Instagram at Profit Piano Studio. And that's with two F's and two T's. (laughs) Hard to remember that. But all of the links like to my Etsy shop, to my Patreon, which I have for teachers who want like one-on-one consultations or even some free materials that's linked there. Um, My email list is linked there. So if you want a central place to find everything I have, it's Instagram. Great. And we'll put that in the show notes. Abigail, thank you so much for being here today, sharing your time and sharing about all your amazing resources. And I hope teachers will go browse all of your things and especially check out that uh, snail trail game. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it. Thank you, Abigail. Abigail has a host of resources available for teachers, and I appreciate how thoughtful she is about making sure that they align with her pedagogical approach. When you buy Abigail's products, you can be assured that they are going to be high quality and that your students are going to love them. I love how Abigail is looking out for piano teachers. She is creating resources and games that make teaching a joy, and she's creating courses and tools to help keep teachers organized and professional. Go check out some of Abigail's creations, and I'll see you here next week. Until then, happy piano teaching. Mm -hmm.